Diocese of Davenport, Vision 2020, Convocation, June 6th through the 8th, 2019, at St. Ambrose University, Davenport, Iowa. Breakout Session, Catholic Teaching on Sexuality and Sexual Identity, Father Tony Harold and Father Tom Hennon, June 7th, 2019. Copyright 2019, Diocese of Davenport. for being here today um, and uh, I'm a little nervous because our bishop is here too so <laughs> anyway no I'm sure she'll be fine I'm going to open us up in a prayer today and again um, before we pray just reminded of something that G.K. Chesterton once said um, which I think is maybe appropriate for our gathering today too because this is what I've found out as I've been journeying with people for well my years as a priest is that more people I think leave the church not necessarily because of what the church really teaches, but because of what they think it teaches. And Chesterton made that comment, and I think it's very appropriate. I think one of the hopes and dreams today is that we'll at least understand where the church is coming from and and what it's teaching. There's so much misinformation out there. So let's enter in prayer and invite the Holy Spirit to come here. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. amen. Loving God, as we approach the great feast of Pentecost, we ask you to send forth your spirit to renew the church and help us as we embark on this ministry of accompaniment to be with all your precious children. No matter what difficulties or experiences they have in life, may we dare to accompany them. May we journey with them whether they believe they're on the fringes or not. Let us be a welcoming place for people to come. May we recognize your presence in people. May we continually try to see the face of Christ, seek the face of Christ, and summon Christ out of others. May we truly be aware of your presence as we gather here today on this very important and difficult subject, and yet bring your spirit to enlighten us and to give us your refreshment. And we ask all this through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. I've got it pretty easy because Father Tom is doing a lot of the, the grunt work in this whole thing, but um, very capable with his uh, teaching background and stuff. So, um, I'm glad that we have a whole hour. We probably won't need it because it's such a light topic, very fluffy. We'll probably be out of here in about 15 or 20 minutes. If there's questions, I don't know. But uh, no, it is a difficult topic. And as as Father Tony mentioned with that Chesterton quote, a lot of people know only the soundbite version of what the church teaches on this. Um, And in particular, in regard to the teaching on homosexuality, the soundbite version of this is often church hates gay people. I am here to tell you that that is categorically false. In fact, nothing could be further from the truth. And I hope, if nothing else, you walk away with that. Now, how the church loves people uh, may not be how you would want the church to love people or how you think the church should love people or how you love people, right? But the church's motivation in all of this is absolutely love. It is not to be this kind of mean, old, overbearing church that needs to just get with the times but likes to make people's difficult lives difficult for the sake of that, right? Not at all. Not at all. So uh, before I dive, I get to the task of basically giving you in a very, very, very short uh, presentation the basics of the church's teaching in regard to sexuality in general so that we can then apply it more 
uh, particularly pastorally. Uh, I taught three years at Assumption High School, and I taught moral uh, theology there at Assumption High School. I will give you the same caveat that I gave them when I taught them, and that is I am going to try to present as faithfully and as succinctly as I possibly can uh, the authentic teaching of the church on this issue. I cannot make you walk out of that door today um, buying that or believing that. You, you're going to leave as you leave, but I'm going to try to present it faithfully. I love uh, Pope Benedict uh, once said, the church never uh, imposes, the church always proposes. So I'm going to propose what the church has to say about this from her documents um, and from U.S. bishops, from the catechism especially. Um, and I, I can't make you think some way, but I can at least present you with what the church actually teaches as opposed to what many people think the church teaches. Um, okay, so let's just dive in. So we want to lay a foundation for this. And the first thing I say in this foundation is that contrary to popular belief, uh, the church does not see sex as an evil, but in fact as good, in fact sacred, so good that it is sacred. The analogy I often used for this with my, with my, uh, with my students when I taught at the high school is, you know, I have my own particular chalice that I use as a priest, and it's pretty special to me. And so I use it on special occasions. I use it for celebrating the Eucharist. Um, I, I, I don't go to the kitchen in the morning, pull my chalice out of the cupboard, pour some Cheerios in there and some milk, and just kind of start chowing down on my Cheerios out of the chalice because it is for a sacred purpose. It has a sacred use, and so I use it kind of for that sacred use. It doesn't mean that I hate it, that I won't use it for my Cheerios or for my coffee. In fact, I love it enough to kind of use it for what its intended purpose is. So uh, the, the church kind of views sexuality in that same way. It's not something that is dirty, gross, or evil, or bad. Um, it is, in fact, holy. Uh, so we've got to remember that in all things. Sex, so this is from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Sexuality affects all aspects of the human person in the unity of body and soul. Very, very important thing. That's why I underlined it. Because we tend to dissociate these things. We tend to say, I can do with my body what I want, and it's just my body. My soul is a whole other thing. And no, 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 no. What, I am body and soul. I'm not, I'm not a soul trapped in a body. My body's not a cage. My body's not a prison. My body's not a shell. My body is a part of who I am as much as my soul is. So I am body and soul. That's a more correct way of even saying that I have a soul. No, I am a soul and I am a body in this unique unity of body and soul that is what it means to be a human being. Uh, but this especially concerns affectivity, the capacity to love and to procreate, and in a more general way, the aptitude for forming bonds of communion with others. Every man and woman should acknowledge and accept his sexual identity. Physical, moral, and spiritual difference and complementarity are oriented toward the goods of marriage and the flourishing of family life. So that word complementarity especially is very much at the heart of where the church is coming at with a lot of its uh, teaching on sexual morality. That there, there's a complementarity between the sexes, not only on a physical level uh, that brings about the, the gift of new life, but even at a spiritual uh, level, a psychological level, there's a complementarity between uh, man and woman. And so for this reason, the church understands that the proper place for sex to, is to be within marriage and with an openness to the transmission of new life. Just as uh, the proper place for the use of my chalice is within mass for the celebration of the Eucharist uh, for the good of the faithful who participate in that Eucharist, right? So that's uh, the, the analogy there. So this is, my little, this is my little diagram for this. So the church looks at the sexes as male and female basing itself on Genesis, you know, to say that God created them male and female, in his likeness he created them male and female. So we have that, there's that, 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 that relationship of complementarity. 
Um, within that, of course, there is the act of sex itself, sexuality between male and female, and that this always has within it, kind of embedded in itself, both a procreative and a unitive aspect. And so the church gets kind of edgy when we say, oh, I want the procreative part, that's all fine and good, but not particularly the unitive part, that we can leave aside, right? Or vice versa, I want the unitive part, I really like the unitive part of sex, but not so much the procreative part of that. If you don't mind, can we just kind of carve that out and leave that by itself? The church uh, says that those things are kind of just, they're, they're united, they're, they're, they're with each other, just like I'm body and soul, um, it, within sex is this procreative and unitive being. And the church sees this as best housed within marriage. Uh, that this is, the, this is the best place for this uh, unity of body and soul expressed in male and female, expressed through the sexual act, which is procreative and unitive both. So that's just my little visual for that. So chastity, I think we need to start with chastity as a general thing first before we dive into some other things. Chastity means the successful integration of sexuality within the person and thus the inner unity of man in his bodily and spiritual being. So chastity is... is Again, the key word there, integration. I am a sexual being. You are a sexual being. If you are a human being, you are a sexual being. Um, and so how do we integrate that appropriately uh, in a way that is healthy for us so that our humanity can truly flourish? Here's the kicker. Nobody's heard this. All the baptized, all the baptized are called to chastity. And there's a bunch of married people that are like, oh, oh, father, we're married. Like, no, we're not called to chastity, right? No, 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 no. Yes, you are called to chastity according to your state in life. As a married person, that is going to look different than it does for a professed celibate, right? As it's going to look different than it does for someone who's dating someone in high school or college, right? But chastity, that integration, right, that we were talking about, is, is the call of everybody. The Christian has put on Christ the model for all chastity, all Christ's faithful are called to lead a chaste life in keeping with their particular states in life. So chastity, as defined as that successful integration of sexuality, that's everybody's business. I like to say this, too, that we tend to think of the church's rules on sexuality um, as just a series of no's. The church says no to this, church says no to this, church says no to this, can't do that, can't do this, can't do this. And really, yes, there are some things that the church says no to, but it's first out of a yes to something bigger that the church is saying, but this is what sexuality is about. This is what it means for us uh, to be human and to live out as sexual beings this, this call to chastity. Authentically, Catholic sexual morality is more yes than it is no. It is more yes to the fullness and to the beauty and to the purpose of human love to reflect divine love uh, in, in both its unitive and procreative aspects, right? So uh, just kind of to remember that. So now, now that you kind of have the nutshell on what the church's teaching in general is on sexuality, we can dive into a little bit of the church's teaching on homosexuality. I put the whole paragraph up there. I know it's long, but I think it is worth reading because there's some really good sentences here. So homosexuality refers to relations between men and women who experience an exclusive or predominant sexual attraction toward persons of the same sex. So defining the term, first of all, this is what the catechism, when it says homosexuality, means by that because we know that we could say that word and it could mean five different things to different people. Some people it means that they're, you know, that's just the inclination. For some people it means that they're acting out on that inclination. All of those different things. But that's how the church defines it in that first sentence. 
Uh, it has taken a great variety of forms throughout the centuries and in different cultures. The church has not had its head in the sand about this. The church isn't like, this is a new problem that only came about in the 20th century because of the sexual revolution. No, the church understands that this has been something that has been a part of many cultures and many times for a very, 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 very long time. So it's not new in that sense. The church isn't uh, uh, oblivious to that. Its psychological genesis remains largely unexplained. I love this part of the paragraph because basically what the church is doing here is, why, why does this happen? And the church does this. Punked. <laughs> Scientists, psychologists, social, you know, you, you do your thing that you do so well. Um, you, you can dive into this if you want. Frankly, we don't really care that much about the genesis of it. We just know that it is, and we know that it affects our brothers and sisters, and we know that we're called to love them, and we want to do them in the best way possible. Right? We want to do that in the best way possible. Then the church gets, this is where it gets controversial, right? Basing itself on sacred scripture, which presents homosexual acts, pay attention to that word, acts, as acts of grave depravity, and then it gives a whole list of quotes from scripture. Tradition has always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. So the acts are disordered, not the inclination, not the person. I'll explain that in a little bit too. Um, I put an asterisk here. That's my little note to myself. This language of disorder is very, 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 very difficult for people, and the church tends to use this language, not in the way that we think of it. We tend to hear that word disorder, we think disease, oh, the church is saying this person has got a disease or something like that. The church uses a lot of philosophical language that it's borrowed, frankly, from like Thomas Aquinas, who was borrowing it from Aristotle. And this is a philosophical term that the church uses in a number of instances, not just here to say something which is somehow in, not in keeping with the order uh, of creation in the way that God has given it to us. Uh, just a couple of examples of where else the catechism uses this word, like intrinsically disordered or gravely disordered. It also uses that word in terms of masturbation to say that this is something that is disordered, is not in keeping with that kind of framework for the, the authentic, loving expression of our human sexuality. Also things like greed, it talks about the disorder of the covetous desires, right? So there's, that's also disordered. So there's lots of other ways in which the church uses that language. They are contrary, the, the acts, right? They are contrary to natural law. They close the sexual act to the gift of life. They do not proceed from genuine affective and spiritual complementarity. So all of that language we just talked about is present here in this paragraph. Under no circumstances can they be approved. Okay. So everybody's like, ah, yep, there it is. Church hates gay people. Wait. <laughs> uh, well, so, so just here's the framework. In other words, the, the church sees homosexual acts as not fitting within that framework, right? Um, however, the number of men and women who have deep-seated homosexual tendencies is not negligible. Again, the church is like, this is just only a small sprinkling of people. We really don't need to worry about them. The church acknowledges right up front, this is a large group of people. Um, so this affects a lot of people. This inclination, which is objectively disordered, you just heard my presentation on what it means to be disordered, right? Constitutes for most of them a trial. Now this is the language that nobody, well, very few people have ever heard. And this is right out of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. They must be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. Now, with high school students, sometimes before I would jump into this, I would just read maybe this paragraph or parts of this paragraph, especially that sentence, and they would never guess in a million years that this was coming from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Because they've already heard the soundbite version of what the church teaches, and it's church hates gay people. Proof in writing from its own document that is called the definitive way to kind of 
you know, a, a definitive document on what the church teaches and believes, they must be accepted with respect, respect, compassion, and sensitivity. Every sign of unjust discrimination in their regard should be avoided. These persons are called to fulfill God's will in their lives, and if they are Christians, to unite to the sacrifice of the Lord's cross the difficulties they may encounter from their condition. Okay? Homosexual persons are called to chastity. But who else is called to chastity? Okay. By virtues of self-mastery that teach them inner freedom, at times by the support of disinterested friendship, not like friendship, like I don't really care about you, but disinterested in the sense of I care about you for your own sake, not because I want something out of you. That's what the church means by disinterested friendship. So true friendship, not utilitarian friendship. Uh, by prayer and sacramental grace, they can and should gradually and resolutely approach Christian perfection. So notice these distinctions in all of this. The distinctions between person, inclination, and act. Very important, because the church will go after acts. The church will go after, to some degree, inclinations, not in a moral sense, but to say this inclination, for example, may be intrinsically disordered. But the church never says that a person is disordered. The church never says that, right? Uh, while an inclination or an act may be intrinsically disordered, a person is never disordered. A person is a person no matter what. And a person who is made in the image and likeness of God, as we all are, must be treated as such regardless of their situation. And yet, love, authentic Christian love, that wills the good of the other, that wants the highest and the best thing for them, that isn't, you know, that isn't satisfied just with letting someone go and do their own thing and have their own life as they please, true, authentic, agape, Self-sacrificial love requires more than just being nice, right? Um, niceness is not a virtue, uh, as we heard in Katie's talk earlier. So with that, I'm going to pass it over to Father Tony to talk about more of the pastoral piece of this. How, how do we apply this pastoral? So obviously, um, if somebody came up to you and said, you know, like to me, they'd say, Father Tony, um, I'm really struggling. Maybe they would say that in whatever with my sexuality and you know, I, you know I, I think I'm gay or lesbian or whatever, the first thing I would do is not share what Father Tom said, okay? <laughs> you do not want to go immediately to any hardcore teaching of the Catholic Church. That's not what people are after when they come to us, when they want to talk. Remember what we've been listening today, we need to listen, right? Well, what, tell me, what does that mean? Tell me a little bit about your story. Tell me about your life. What, because remember, this is so crucial what Father Tom said. They are persons. One of the things that I've been really reflecting on very much is the fact that um, when Jesus walked on this earth, there were three main things that he did all the time. He upheld the dignity of people. What, the, when he met the lepers, you know, I wanted, he wants to heal the lepers. He reaches out to the poor, the neglected. He always was about dignity, always about helping people understand their worth, their innate dignity. The other thing that he did was he always wanted to bring unity about. In, in John's Gospel, Father, may they all be one as you and I are one. So that sense of being one, you know, one with the God of the universe who created us and loved us. And the third thing that Jesus always did was to liberate us. And I always think that when we talk about salvation, salvation is a churchy term. But you could interchange that with, with liberation, with liberty. He wants to free us from those things that keep us from being our authentic self. As Matthew Kelly would say, we're trying to, to you know, what God wants us to be is our authentic self. Uh, to be freed from all those constraints that keep us from that. So 
you know, my sense when people, and I work with the encouraged folks um, who are parents, relatives, who have children who identify as LGBTQ+, whatever. Um, and um, uh, so I, I think that's, that's kind of what, where we come from, is that we want to accompany our children. And it, it's, it can be difficult. Let me just... So there's a... Um, there's a couple resources that you can go to. Brandon Vaught, by the way, is um, he is works with Bishop Robert Barron on Word on Fire. He's one of the executives for Word on Fire. He also is a very prolific writer. He's a young father, has I think nine children or so. But he's young. When you look at him, he looks like he's like Father Tom. You know, he's like this. Although you grew a beard, so you cheat a little bit. But <laughs> anyway, but um, but he has this wonderful uh, thing called Claritas U. Uh, you can go on, you can just do clerictashu.com or whatever, and he's got a whole series of courses that you can buy into. Now, for us priests, it's free. There are some benefits to wearing the collar. So. Um, but he has a course now that's on uh, homosexuality, and I, I've been kind of going through that. And, and uh, Brandon Vaught says, um, when, we, when, we, when we meet our brothers and sisters who identify, don't treat them as lepers. I mean, they're... You know, again, we love them. I love that quote that Father Tom used from the catechism. We need to show them every respect because they are our brothers and sisters. You know, if you want to treat them as lepers, treat them as Jesus did. Reach out to them, you know. But they're not. They're our brothers and sisters. I've got some good friends who identify, and I, I love them dearly. Um, you know, and, and I love to see them come to church. You know, um, so don't treat them as lepers. Secondly, uh, love them through tangible actions, you know, um, again, uh, just, and again, we're not, we're not trying to sell anything here, but we're just trying to treat them as we would treat anybody we love, you know, through acts of kindness and, and love. And then thirdly, um, don't, uh, don't bring up their, this is a key one, do not bring up their homosexuality. First of all, remember, that's not really their identity. I, I always look at people not, I mean, I'm, I hope people don't, don't identify me by maybe issues in my life or, or things that are, ta are, are tangential to really who I am. My primary, primary identity is as a child of God. So I want people to see me as a, as a child of God. There might be other things. I mean, I play the guitar. I mean, I do all kinds of other stuff, but that's my primary identity as a child of God. So, um, so, so let, you know, we don't need to, to make that an issue in anybody's life. Fourthly, um, and this is kind of really good, so, so there may be a time when you've earned the right to really enter into conversation with someone you love who's, who's really, and I wouldn't say they struggle with this in clinic because maybe some folks don't struggle with it, but they identify with it or this is part of who they identify with. But there might come a time when, you know, again, you've been in that, in that relationship and, and it comes up, you know, they want to know more about what the church teaches or what, what and, and don't shy away from that. I mean, that's when you can use some of the tools that the church has to offer in a gentle, kind way, not never as a weapon, you know, over them, but always in a kind and gentle way to let folks know. Um, and, and I think what most people need, every one of us needs, is compassion. Can I have time to share a little story with them? Uh, there was a guy, I taught in high school, and I, I, did, I was not quite as effective as Tom if I... If, by the way, now I know why you're so skinny with all that energy when he teaches. But um, 
but I taught a, a young man in high school, and um, later on in life he got a hold of me and wanted to get up, wanted to talk to me, and, and he, when he came out of high school, identified as gay and was very much into the subculture and stuff. And his, his family is a very Catholic family. I mean, just a very uber-Catholic family. And, uh, and his daughter, his, his, not his daughter, his sister uh, invited him out to uh, spend Easter with the family in Pennsylvania. So he went out to Pennsylvania and spent um, some time with them. And they're very Catholic, and so he knew that part of me going with them would be I'd have to go to church. So they went to church on Holy Thursday, and the priest, evidently after Holy Thursday, while they're having adoration, he invites anybody who wants to also take advantage of the Sacrament of Reconciliation. And so the whole family goes to Reconciliation, and his name is Joe. He wouldn't mind me saying, so Joe says, eh, I haven't been for a while. So he goes into the confessional, and uh, the priest does, you know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And uh, Joe says, eh, I'm just here to talk. You're not going to forgive me anyway. He said, I'm gay. And the priest in the confessional completely threw Joe off guard and said, no, I don't, I don't care if you're gay or not. When, when you're in the confessional with me, I speak on behalf of Jesus. And I can tell you that Jesus loves you. He loves you no matter what. He loves you with a passion. You can, and it threw Joe so much off guard that he began to cry. And long story short, he came back to church. After being away for some 20 years, he came back. And he's been going to church ever since. And I visit him periodically. And, and in fact, Joe is a kind of a playwright, kind of an amateur playwright and stuff. He wrote a play about this experience. And it's a marvelous thing. I've, I've shared it with Father Tom and a few other people. And he's actually performed it. I actually was able to go to performance. But, but this was just he didn't realize that the church would love him. And again, make those distinctions that with the Tom made, Father Tom made, that's important. But people need to know primarily that they're loved before we can do anything to accompany them on the journey. You know, and that's for all of us, right? You know, the church loves us because it is the face of Christ, and we are called to be that face of Christ. And as I've worked with people and encouraged, too, um, I remember going to a convention. I'm going to the one, actually, that's coming up. You'll get a, you've got a brochure on that. I can't wait to get back to that. It's just, you'll meet, if, you, if you can go to a convention like that, you meet some wonderful people who both from the encouraged side, they have you know, children who are LGBT or whatever. But, they, um, but primarily, they will tell you that in their lives, accompanying their son or daughter has been a conversion for them because they've had to learn to love in a new way and, and, you know, and to see in a new way, too. So um, I've done enough talking. I want to pray and fast, and I think it's important for all this, too. But um, I don't know if I've got anything else on here or not. Oh, you kind of covered these yep, things. Yeah, I've covered those already. Yep. Okay. I love this. This is a paragraph, though, from um, the U.S. Bishop's document on ministry to persons with homosexuality. Uh, with homosexual inclination. First of all, also notice that the church, along with a lot of society, right, is going to uh, a more person-first or person-centered language. Uh, so the church tends to use this language of start persons who experience same-sex attraction. Um, instead of kind of putting them under kind of a reductive label, let's start with their personhood. But uh, the church is charged with the mission of preaching Christ in order that all people may be saved 
In her ministry, the church preaches, preaches the good news of Jesus, the message of joy and peace that the world cannot give. This message provides the foundation for all her ministries. In the measure that we authentically preach Christ, we build a healthy and holy communion of sisters and brothers, diverse in gifts, but one in the spirit. But I kind of tacked that on to that last point of liberty and salvation. Uh, that they're, they're, In some ways, many of our brothers and sisters who experience this are kind of sold a bill of goods out in the world. Like, this will make you happy. This is the finally the thing that will make you happy. And both of us can tell you from meeting with individuals and their families that experience this, some of the things that they were told by everybody else in the world would make them happy made them miserable. And some of the things that they were told would make them miserable, like chastity, have actually made them some of the, the, the happiest people I've met. I'm edified by the faith of the Courage members that are a part of our group. Um, and I went in scared, I will be honest. I went in scared like, okay, I'm going to have to be like on my, on my game defending the church's teaching at every little point as, as best I can, and, and what are people going to think of me? It, almost immediately that melted away because these are men of, so far it's been largely men in the group that we've had, but these are men of great faith, of great prayer, of great love, uh, who, are, who are striving for authentic intimacy, which isn't always or necessarily or only sexual intimacy. They're, they're looking for virtuous friendships. They want a life of holiness. And like I say, they, they inspire me uh, by their faith. So we're all called to this. So just really quickly about the Courage and Encourage apostolate. The Courage apostolate was started by Father John Harvey, a, a member of the um, Society of St. Francis de Sales and Terence Cardinal Cook uh, of New York in 1980. Uh, Courage International is an apostolate of the Catholic Church that ministers to persons with same-sex attractions and their loved ones. Um, it has been endorsed by the Pontifical Council for the Family, and Pope John Paul II famously said, Courage is doing the work of God. So uh, some pretty high praise there. Um, encourage ministers, encourage ministers specifically to relatives, spouses, and friends of persons uh, with same-sex attraction. Just to give you a quick overview of the goals of Courage, Throw these up quick. Um, chastity. So uh, they, 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 that virtue that we're all called to as baptized Christians. So that's the first goal, to live chaste lives in accordance with the church's teaching on this. Um, I should give you a little idea, too, of how, at least for courage, it works. I think in courage, it works the same way, too. Usually what happens, someone gets my number or my email, and they call me, and I say, great, let's arrange for a meeting. And we have a one-on-one -on -one meeting. And I don't, I don't start with, like, well, tell me about your homosexuality. No, of course not, right? I want to get to know them, who they are, what's important to them, what their hobbies are, their interests, their, you know, just hear their story, their faith story especially. And again, I'm very often edified by that. Um, and so they, they just, I meet with them usually one-on-one, -on -one, I kind of hear their story. I explain what courage is about and what it's not about. And occasionally I've had someone that I met with one-on-one -on -one and I kind of explained, this is what courage is. Do you think this would be something you're interested in? And they're like, you know what? No. Or I've had one person who was a member for a number of, came to several meetings, but he wasn't quite sure. He was like, he, he was certainly committed to living chastely. He had lived kind of a, um, an out loud and proud homosexual lifestyle before coming to me and, um, and was disillusioned by that a lot uh, and hurt in some ways by that. But he still wasn't sure he was kind of with the church on this completely. But he reached out to me. We met. Um, he decided, you know what, I'll, I'll try to go to, I'll go to a meeting. And he came to a meeting, and he came to another meeting, and he came to another meeting. came to several meetings um, and seemed to get a lot out of it, especially the fellowship and the fraternity there and, and the prayer and, you know, some, some good things he got out of it. But eventually he said, you know what, Father Tom, thank you, but this is really not where I'm at. And it's not, uh, I, I'm glad, he said, I'm glad that the church has this, frankly. Um, but I, I'm not 
there in terms of he understood how personally he wanted to live chastely, but he wasn't quite sure, wasn't quite ready to make that step to say, ah, and this is good for everybody. And so he, he couldn't. And, and that was fine. So you, you can come and go as you want in this group. He still continued to see me uh, for spiritual direction on a regular basis. He would still, so there was that relationship, right? That didn't get broken off, right? Just because this maybe wasn't the right apostolate for him um, at that particular time. But he knows that he's loved in the church. He knows that. Because we've told him repeatedly, and he's met with me, and I've, I've tried to communicate that repeatedly, um, both word and action. Prayer and dedication, to dedicate our entire lives to Christ through service to others, spiritual reading, prayer, meditation, individual spiritual direction, frequent attendance at Mass, frequent reception of the Sacrament of Reconciliation and the Eucharist. Those are good things for every Christian, for every Catholic, right? Fellowship, to foster a spirit of fellowship in which we may share with one another our thoughts and experiences. Support, to be mindful of the truth that chaste friendships are not only possible but necessary. So often, I think the, the theme here in a lot of these courage meetings is that desire for true intimacy, authentic human intimacy, which we all need through friendships, through family, through whatever, but it's, there's a healthy way to seek that and a not-so-healthy way to seek that, as we know. And to be a good example and role model to others. Um, I'll let Father Tony talk a little bit more about yeah. the goals of Encourage, because he knows more about that. But they're kind of parallel. Yeah, they're, they're parallel. And of course, um, we're, we're dealing with, with folks who have children or loved ones or deep friends who are uh, identify as LGBT. So again, the goals of Encourage are to grow spiritually through spiritual reading, prayer, meditation, individual spiritual direction, frequent attendance of Mass. Again, that's good for all of us, right? I mean, we... And most of the folks that come to encourage are obviously they they love the church, and and they are pained because their children are not going to church. Obviously, um, that's not just our LGBT brothers and sisters, right? A lot of your children. We heard from Katie Prejean McGrady today. A lot of our folks are not. So I think all of us need something like this to pray, meditate, to help um, help our kids come back, to gain a deeper understanding of the needs, difficulties, and challenges expected experienced by men and women of same-sex attraction. A lot of the people that come to encourage don't know the church's teaching. And, and they're still, um, sometimes they, they, they're, it's difficult for them to, to know who to talk to. You know, they don't want to talk, they're, they're embarrassed to talk to their friends sometimes. And so to pr have a place where we can talk and share our stories with one another, again, to hear each other. Uh, to maintain healthy, wholesome relationships with their loved ones. One of the things we want to encourage, and that's what we call it encourage, obviously don't give up on your kids. Love them. Don't, you know, sometimes, you know, there's a rift between parent and child when this happens. And no, we want to encourage them. Don't, don't do that. I mean, regardless of what happens to your child, be with them. And that's where maybe the conversion comes in their life. Um, again, to assist family members and friends to reach out with compassion and truth not to reject their loved ones with same-sex attraction. And finally, uh, to witness to their loved ones by their own lives that fulfillment is to be found in Jesus Christ and the church. Some, and this is what's really heartbreaking for me when I talk to people that encourages, um, and I've got a, a couple uh, folks encouraged right now that I, I work with, and, and when their child discovered or realized or came out, they basically left the church and they basically gave up on God. I mean, there was uh, one, one of our, our people in Encourage, their, their son came out and, and basically he'd been praying and praying and praying that God would take this away from him, you know, that he wouldn't have this inclination, and it didn't happen. So he concluded there was no God, you know. Um, 
and that's heartbreaking for, for parents. So um, we don't give up. I mean, we don't, you know, that's not, um, you know, we want to be with our children as they go through this, uh, any, any phases in their life or any, any issues in their life, but to know that God is with them. You know, again, like what the church says, we don't know the genesis of same-sex attraction. We don't know what causes it, but, um, but we know that God is with us no matter what happens in our life, and we need to affirm that. So those are some of the goals of Encourage. A couple of quick comments on probably you experienced the same thing. The thing that most surprised me in doing well, three or four years now of Courage and Courage Ministry, whenever we, I think it was 24 years of doing this, um, I was expecting that the members who would come to these courage meetings would be very disillusioned by or unhappy with, angry at perhaps the church's teaching, and I found exactly the opposite. Now granted, we're kind of preaching to the choir in the sense that for many of them, they know what courage is and what it's advertised to be. They maybe checked out the website and they've reached out to me, you know. So they've kind of worked through a lot of that in some ways themselves. Maybe they had lived... Um, uh, a life contrary to the church's teaching for many years and were dissatisfied by that, hurt by that in some ways. And so they've already kind of worked through that. But I was expecting them to be kind of come, come guns ablazing, you know, at the church's teaching. And I found, no, they, they've come to really love it and embrace it. If anything, they are sometimes indignant that the church doesn't seem to be applying its sexual te- morality teaching more uh, broadly to all Christians, heterosexual or homosexual or whatever their situation, because they, they get the impression sometimes that the church is saying, oh, you homosexuals are particularly bad, but oh, heterosexuals, do whatever you want, right? What, it's, it's open, fair game, right? And so they get like kind of indignant at that, like, like, no, if this is true and good for us, it's true and good for everyone. Chastity, everybody's called to chastity according to their state and life. The other thing that I think is, you know, when we talk about accompaniment and going to the margins, to the peripheries, yes, there's definitely a margin, there's definitely a periphery in going out to that person who is not living according to the Catholic Church's teaching and doesn't ever want to necessarily, and maybe even hates the Catholic Church, and that's, that's a hard reach. Um, but even that, I think there is a way of accompaniment and friendship and respect and, and love that we can, we can do there. I think one of the margins, though, within our church are some that... Uh, these members of courage that are wanting to live chastely, and they're kind of they feel very often homeless because they they don't feel at home within the LGBTQ community. Um, they feel like they, they they are rejected by them because of this, and they also feel very often uh, be, that they're rejected somehow by the church, not because of the church's teaching necessarily, but just because of the way that we interact or don't interact with them. Uh, we don't throw the doors open to them and open our eye, our arms wide to them. So that's definitely a margin. They're in a, a kind of a, a strange cultural and religious no man's land um, in, in what they're experiencing. Um, just a couple of um, other resources and readings that you could look at. These are a couple of websites and movies. The Courage website itself, couragerc.org. Go check it out. It's nicely done. Lots of good things to click on there. Lots of articles that you can download, pamphlets that you can print off. Um, lots of good information that is there for you, uh, for your use, for free. And it, it also covers Encourage. So Courage and Encourage are both on that website. There was a movie made a few years ago called The Desire of the Everlasting Hills. And it, was, it kind of uh, highlighted the story of three different individuals, two men and, and one woman, uh, who experienced same-sex attraction. And kind of their story of um, where, where they were 
and where they eventually came to be in regard to the church. And it's a beautiful movie. It's done very well. It's about an hour. You can watch the entire thing online. Uh, so you don't have to rent it. You don't have to buy it. You can watch the entire thing online, and it is, it is beautiful. Um, one of the stories from that movie that is, I always found was touching was, so one of these uh, individuals uh, was you know, living a very openly homosexual lifestyle with his, with his live-in partner and was flipping through the channels one night, and he comes across this weird nun with a patch over her eye, and, and so what the heck is this? Well, it was Mother Angelica, of all people, right? And he was just making fun of her, and he brings his partner into the room and says, look at this pirate nun on, 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 this, on this show, right? And he's just, they're just having a great time just kind of laughing at her. and stuff. But he actually started to listen to some of the things that she was saying, and it started to kind of resonate a little bit with, with her. I don't know or care really what your opinion is on Mother Angelica, but she was obviously something got through in what she was saying to this person. Eventually, he was kind of watching this in secret, you know, like his partner would come into the room and he'd quick change the channel, you know, um, because, but something kind of started, and it started to seep in a little bit, and then he and his partner were able to have some good, meaningful conversations about this, and long story short, they both decided, you know, the church is onto something here, and they committed themselves to living chastely in a, in a, in a friendship. They still live together, but in a chaste friendship, and so he's got just kind of a powerful, very countercultural experience. Um, in that regard. Blackstone Films um, has a movie called The Third Way. It's called The Third Way because uh, the, the two ways that we're told as a church and as a culture we can deal with this is like totally give in to this and say, eh, you know what, it's all okay. Let's just, let's just open wide the doors and let's, let's carve out those sections of the catechism or radically change them. Let's just get rid of all that, right? That's one way. The other way is Okay, let's let's crash down here like a hammer and just like live into that soundbite version of what people think the church teaches and just really come down hard on on, on persons who experience this. And the church says those aren't our only options. Like we we can present something that is both loving and true. Those shouldn't be in conflict with each other, right? So that is a very good uh, movie as well. Uh, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, uh, their document on the human person, um, specifically a declaration on certain questions concerning sexual ethics from 1975. The U.S. bishops always are children, a pastoral message to parents of homosexual children. All of these, the, at least the USC, well, that you can find on the, web, the Vatican website easily enough. These two you will definitely find on the USCCB website. Um, and then, of course, the United States uh, U.S. bishops ministry to persons with homosexual inclination uh, guidelines for pastoral uh, care. So those are some other resources. So we got about 18 minutes to do some Q&A and we'll do the best we can. <laughs> we'll start right here. Okay, so my kids went to Regina. I'll just say that and I would say, are we teaching this or bringing this to that level? Because I think that devil's working overtime on making our kids have sex, the sexual confusion thing. And I think the kids need to know that this resource is available to them before they go out into the world, into college, and into all the other things that are going to be pulling them in all different ways. I would love to see this as an in-service at all of our Catholic schools for certain, in addition to somebody wanted to take it on to public schools. But this is something that needs to get out to our Catholic schools before our kids are graduating and before the world tears them up into different directions. 
I hope that somewhere in their four years at a Catholic high school in our diocese, uh, the church's presentation of this is getting at least a fair hearing. I don't know if that's happening or not, because that kind of depends on uh, the particular teacher, even though they might have uh, a particular textbook that is obviously approved. Um, you know, that, that depends on how much the teacher wants to dive into that. Some teachers may say, yes, I want to dive into that. Some may say, mm, I'm not going to touch that one. Oh, we don't have time to cover that, sorry. And moving on, I certainly, I'm the kind of person that when I was teaching in high school, like, you know they have these questions, and you know they're, they're, they're wrestling with this. Let's just dive into the fray, and let's not be afraid to try so to So I went to public that. school, and I went to Cedar Rapids Prairie, which is all the farm kids were there. I didn't have the opportunity to go to Catholic school because there was five of us kids, and my farm parents couldn't afford it. We had a group that came in that was up with people, and it was a religious background, and they did it to the whole stadium. Why can't we have this going on at each of the schools as the Up With People retreat comes in and presents this to the whole school once a year and you can just bounce from school to school to school. I would love, that would be on my wish list well, for our Catholic and diocese. And I think, I, Dee, right? <laughs> right. Okay, I think, I think you're onto something. I think obviously that we need to, um, I, I don't know how many of our teachers, I, I was talking to Marianne about, a little bit about this too. I think probably this is a topic that probably a lot of folks have maybe just an intuition about church. the church doesn't like gay people or whatever, you know, and they don't have the full teaching. So I think that's something we need to tackle. But I also don't think it's a one and done. In other words, I think we continually need to talk about sexuality in a healthy, constructive way. And Because I, our kids are younger and younger when they're getting, I mean, right now, what they say, around the age of eight or nine is when they begin to encounter pornography on the screens, and then I know our eighth graders this year. I'm in a, I've been, we have a huge Catholic school in our parish, 400 and some kids in our school, and we get concerned a little bit about our eighth graders and stuff as they're going on to high school. So I think we need to do a better job, and I think I thank you for that question. Thank so. you. Uh, I don't know where to go next. Look over here. <laughs> I have. I'm going to hit two groups that. I don't think you discussed very well, and I'm confused and, and kind of would like to know where we go for direction and where, where the church teaches. One is everything was up there talking about men and women. There's a large number of people, a significant number of people who are born biologically who don't fit into the category of men or women, and, and how we minister to them, and, and you know, what the church teachings are there. And then the other is the people that are transgender. Uh, what our direction is and who's there, and are there support groups for those folks and for uh, handling those situations? I will say, I think the church is pastorally still playing catch up here a little bit because that. I think it is a little bit of a newer situation that we find ourselves in, uh, in in regard to that particular issue. Not completely new, obviously, but th there is kind of a newness to that. Um, there isn't a succinct or a clear statement in the catechism about those particular situations as there is about persons who experience same-sex attraction. There just isn't. Um, maybe something like that is forthcoming at some point, um, but that's, that's part of the issue. Part of the other issue is, although this question comes up a lot in courage and in encourage and encourage and encourage uh, conferences and things like that that are held, courage and encourage never started with necessarily that in mind. Um, when they started, so they're they're trying to figure out how how does this apostolate, which was really made for this particular pastoral situation, apply or does it to this other pastoral situation? 
the only thing I would say in regard to the church's teaching in general would be that unity of body and soul thing is an important thing, right? Um, and so somehow, whatever the church eventually may say more definitively or clearly on this is going to embrace that. The church is never just going to say, your body is just a thing and it is mutable and that's not who you are. You're just your you know, perception of yourself. You know, the, the, the church is always going to continue to defend the body as an essential aspect of, of, of who the person is, you know. So somehow it's going to have to, to wrestle with that. But I, I hear you, and I, and yeah. I don't know that I have a good answer, frankly, because I there don't is the churches. Sure. At the Courage Conference, they have a day for clergy, and so um, usually can come a day early. I'm going to try to get to that again. But there is actually a deacon that comes to speak to the priests on courage, and he actually deals with that issue. That's his focus. Do you remember what his name is? Uh, I deacon. Right um, but anyway, he's a but he's a doctor. And he deals with uh, transgender issues and that, that type of thing. Um, but there is a website called sexchangeregret.com or org. I'm not sure what it is. But there is a, uh, this is a real controversial issue too because, you know, um, this whole non-binary, binary, non-binary non stuff, you know, the transgender type of thing is really big. And like Father Tom said, we're still trying to play catch up. But... But to jump into the fray of just saying, well, like I think Facebook in New York now has, what, 57 ways of identifying yourself in different genders or different fluid. And I know Generation Z right now, I mean, one of the issues of Generation Z is they tend to be gender fluid, whatever that means. Like they don't necessarily identify one way or the other. But we've got to be careful, I think, about jumping onto a bandwagon because of the latest fad or what's coming. I'm not necessarily saying it's a fad, but... Um, I think this is a very important issue because ultimately what we want to do, like Matt Kelly says, we want to we want to be we want to live up to the best self we can be. I want to be the best Tony Harold I can be. I want to be you know whatever. And so I think we don't assign ourselves that stuff, but we need to to maybe grow into an understanding. So I I agree with Father Tom. I think there's a lot that needs to be done. There is some stuff going on, and I think that website might be helpful. I, I do think that website, maybe that individual's name should come up with it. Yeah, I don't know if it's on for this. I probably have it. No, it's not on there, but I do have, I think I can pull it. Um, and I would say, pastorally speaking, how will the church approach this? Uh, well, we're still going to say this is a human being made in the image and likeness of God. The person is a person no matter what their situation is. So you're going to always lead with that kind of love and accepting of passion and respect and sensitivity, but that doesn't necessarily mean um, not maybe challenging some of these assumptions um, uh, that they may have about themselves or about the nature of what it means to be human in body and soul. And So uh, again, uh, loving them in terms of wanting the highest and the best thing for them, willing the good of the other, can't just be always leaving someone where they are at either. Sometimes it means accompany them to somewhere else. I think Katie said that, right? Sometimes you walk along with them on the road, but you don't always keep going the wrong direction. At some point, you gently say, hey, walk with me, um, once you've gained that kind of trust. but um, So it'll always be a pastoral, kind of loving response. Affirming their personhood. It is sexchangeregret.com. So one word, sexchangeregret.com. And it says about uh, up to 20% of people have regrets about their sex change procedures or not. I mean, there's this, the, the, the people who actually change their genders have 
about a 40% attempted suicide rate. I mean, it goes just up tremendously that way, too. So it's, I don't, I mean, I have not done a lot of studies on that, but I know it is an issue that we need to deal with. Well, Tony, there, there are folks that have um, transgender children relatives. They would be open, you know, encourage would be open for yes. them to that case. Yeah. <laughs> the courage group obviously would be different. That they were really not, they really don't have a courage group for those of transgender at yeah. this point in time. Um, um, a friend of mine I was talking to last night, he shared that his daughter recently came to him and said that uh, she's going into a human homosexual relationship with a woman who's in with her. And uh, she pointed out to him, Jesus encourages us to love one another. So what's wrong with this? I'm loving this woman. I'm moving in with her. I'm doing what Jesus tells me to do. So there's a big disconnect on what love is. I want to hear your comments on that. I, I think maybe, I don't think it would be too much to say that maybe one of the greatest crises of our particular time and culture is a poverty in the understanding of love. Because for most people, that word means purely emotional love. And this is, this is you know, so every, I have a lot of weddings here. I give a lot of wedding homilies. Um, and every wedding homily I have, I always, because they always pick out for their second reading, Love is patient, love is kind, all of that. And it is true and it is beautiful. But they pick it because it's this flowery language about love. But it also says this love endures all things, it bears all things, it hopes all things. It's a hard love. It's patient, it doesn't brood over injury, it rejoices in the truth. You know. And the word that St. Paul uses for love in that is the same word that Jesus uses throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, agape, which as my Greek teacher drilled into me, is self-sacrificial love that stops at nothing for the good of the other. And there are many days that people who love each other uh, emotionally will not feel like loving each other in that way. And married people know this very well. Priests know it too, right? Uh, th this love is a choice. This love is an act of the will, where I say, I will, I choose to love you. I will to love you. And that means that I want something that is better for you than maybe even you can imagine. And I'm willing to lay my, my life down so that you can have that. Say the meaning of agape again. Self-sacrificial love that stops at nothing for the good of the other. Self-sacrificial love that stops at nothing for the good of the other. So sometimes when they say, we're loving each other, well, okay, what does that mean, right? And maybe just posing the question back, you know, does it just mean that you have strong feelings for each other? And a lot of relationships do begin that way, but they grow and they develop over the years. If you ask a couple that's 60 years married, do you love, your, love each other the way that you loved each other when you first met or when you first got married? They'll say, heck no. <laughs> do you love each other more than you did then? Yes. Yes. Because we've been through thick and thin, and we've chosen, we've made a habit of loving each other day in and day out. And that has made a much stronger love. What's, so. what's your answer to misguided compassion? Mm -hmm. In his case, he is very, very tempted into being compassionate to the point of approving of this relationship. Yeah, well, I mean, the word compassion itself first means suffering with. So that's the accompaniment piece. That's the solidarity piece, like... Um, it's just willing to listen and to kind of bear some of that burden with the person. 
Um, so that's, um, but yeah, I don't know that compassion or the, uh, true love always just means it's an open field, do whatever you want. Um, that's my take on it. I don't yeah. know Father Tony has a And I think too, I mean, because I, I think people that encourage struggle with that because they have their children who are getting married or have gotten married or whatever. And, and we have the whole gamut and encourage where, you know, a, a couple will say, well, I don't approve of this, but I love my daughter enough. I, I cannot not go and, and at least be there for her. So she, you know, and then we have other folks who will say, um, no, I can't. In fact, there's one couple that they were the only ones in their family that didn't go to their daughter's marriage. And the whole family was kind of out to get them. And But they said, you know, but it's a two-way street. I, we love our daughter and we she can bring her partner home, I, I don't care, but we just couldn't go to the wedding because we don't believe that. And, and she needs to understand our viewpoint as much as I need to understand her viewpoint, you know. So we, that, that doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm not loving her less, I'm just, that's, we're just different in that way. So I, it's a tough thing, and I, I don't know if anybody else has any comments on it. Then you have that situation where your spouse, husband and spouse feel separated yeah. like that. Yeah. One would go to the wedding and one wouldn't. And then that also causes a rift. And that makes it just even more dynamically impossible to, to settle it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Want to get to maybe another question? Yeah. Oh, where, where, oh, wait, you had your hand up for a while. We'll get to you, Ryan. Okay. Um, mine, I think, is pretty quick. I was just curious about um, how you said you sometimes encourage chaste friendships and I've, I've never heard of that and I thought that was intriguing. Do you sort of like present that as an option for people that they can live as if married but without the physical aspect of it? So there is some there is some debate even within like the courage community about whether this is possible or healthy or whatever but like that example from the one a couple from Desire of the Everlasting Hills where they decided after they had kind of come to some conversion that they could live and wanted to live in a chaste friendship uh, together. So for some people that, that may be may work very well um, because there's real authentic intimacy there and yet without sexual intimacy necessarily. And that's really what they're after more than anything too. So it, that I, I think that is a path. I think that is a path for some, not for all. For some, um, either their partner's not going to be on board with that um, or they're... Um, or they're just going to find this is too, we, we, we just can't do that. It's hard to live under the same roof with somebody that you're madly in love with and physically attracted to and not want to act out on that in some way, just as with heterosexual couples. So, yeah, good. But I think it is a, a path. Um, it, I, I've, the other thing that surprised me in the Courage Ministry was, in a way, how clerical celibacy actually prepared me better for this ministry <laughs> because even though it's something that I have chosen for myself, right? No one put this up, put me up to it. I chose to be chaste, celibate, right? But I'm also living proof that you will not spontaneously combust <laughs> if you are not generally sexually active, right? Um, and they do find kind of encouragement in that. Like, here's a guy who's living chastely in the world, has friendships, loves his family, goes and sees them, hangs out with his buddies on a day off, you know, and like, and he's happy. And, and trying to live a life of holiness and chastity, and he's not depressed and like dragging around saying, "Oh, this is awful." Even cooks. Kind of hard to believe. Brian, one last one. I think we got time for. How do we approach the individual who says, "Look, this is who I am. I've rectified this with 
in my own conscience, and I'm going to walk this path. How do you minister to that person? How do you how do you accompany that individual? You want to handle it? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, are they asking for anything other than understanding? I mean, I, I don't. I think obviously one of the things I would say is continue to be their friend. Continue to, you know, I mean, you don't need to treat them like a leper um, if they make a choice. I mean, God loves them where they are, you know, and we need to keep praying for them, fasting for them. I mean, if we if we believe obviously that maybe there's a better life out there for them too, you know, but um, but I think we get it. I, I don't. I think one of the things I'm getting from this conference so far, and I'm continuing to learn, I've been, a, like I said, a priest for 40 years, but I still learn and learn and learn, is we can't, we, we've got to to treat them as a person. You know, we've got to love them where they are, and um, that doesn't mean we agree with everything, you know, that they're doing, but we still love them and we accompany them. Um, and who knows, you know, by our own prayer and example there. And I think this desire, desire of the Everlasting Hills, that was such a good movie because one of the things that some of the younger folks say is, well, these folks in the, this movie are older. Well, they've been through experiences, and sometimes it takes a little age to make you wise, you know, so you never give up on anyone, okay? I think of that individual that was a part of our courage group and then decided to leave but would still kind of, you know, meet me for spiritual direction. You know, when he would meet me with spiritual direction, like, have you come around on the teachings of the church yet? You know, or you know, where are you at on your chastity? We would talk about his prayer. We would talk about what's going on in his family life, all of that kind of stuff. He still felt very comfortable meeting with me, knowing what he knew about what I believed about the church and with the courage ministry, but still through that just kind of normal, human, healthy interaction. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe he will be, you know, to his dying day where he's at, but maybe at some point he'll say, you know what, I was treated with compassion, and maybe there is something to this, and maybe I need to investigate it further. So. All right, thank you so much for your attention. Oh, we can, let's pray. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Loving, wise, gentle God, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us in these days as we are gathered together for this convocation. Help us especially to know how to best accompany and love those you have put in our lives uh, who are seeking true intimacy, seeking true love uh, in their lives. Help us to draw them close to you and as we hold them up to you through the hands of our mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.